Actually, I don't need that one. <laughs> Amen. Well, I'm uh, excited to be here this morning. Hopefully you guys are. Coming off of that song, I think we could probably just close it on out right there today. Uh, how about Jerry Spraddle on drums? Well, I'm really excited about the uh, series that we're involved with here over the next few weeks, uh, Unlimited. Uh, last week we started out with Brian Craig, kind of talking about how gracious our God is and what that means for us individually. And, you know, actually for starters here too, I probably should throw my name out there for those of you that are uh, with us here maybe for the first time this morning. My name is Steve Marici. I have the opportunity of uh, serving as one of the evangelists here in our coastal LA region. Very, very grateful to be serving here in the South Bay ministry. And there's been a lot of incredible services going on on a lot of different fronts. I appreciate our entire worship team heading out to teen camp tonight to be there as an encouragement inspiration to our teens. Amen? Then uh, Jay, where did Jay go? Is he back out there in the audience somewhere? Is he backstage still? Anyway, I didn't want to take this opportunity to really encourage Jay. Uh, it's been an incredible warrior in the singles ministry, serving through all kinds of different things through the years, a lot of different transition, and has been steadfast, faithful, and here is an encouragement to all of our single brothers and sisters. Let's give him a round of applause. Amen. <clears throat> and I, I don't know what the remarks were uh, when it came to the whole emotional thing and connecting with God. I, I'm very secure in my uh, masculinity. Uh, there are definitely a couple of my favorite songs that were done today, though, one of which really kind of pulls at the heartstrings, which is Oceans. I can't even look at Sean when he's up on stage. For whatever reason we do that, we both start welling up. But, uh, and then, of course, the uh, one that we just did, uh, our God, just thinking through how incredible he is, that he's mighty to save, and just the degree of compassion that he extends to us. But getting back to our series and uh, what Brian went after last week, one of the things that stands out to me is Romans 12, which he uh, went after for us, which states that whatever your gift is, to put it to use. You know, and, and that God has blessed us in so many different ways with so many different talents. And I, I do want to take this opportunity to commend a few other people that have done just that for the church, for the kingdom here in South Bay. We have Erica Young, who's uh, got a birthday, from what I understand. She really helps on so many different fronts with our singles, administration for the uh, churches here throughout Los Angeles in the coastal group. Uh, we've got the Roosties, which, uh, you know, we always have Sherwin sitting over here in the, uh, the, uh, the corner of the orchestra pit, here early helping make sure that all of this gets up and going in the right direction. His wife, Jen, helps with our administration within the church. We have Betty, who does double duties, part of the worship team, helps lead the singles. We got the Hills, which help on so many different fronts. There's Bernardo within our singles, and I'm just really proud of our entire group. Amen? So with that, Psalm 145. Well, here's our series. Let me walk through this real quick. As you can see, we uh, took care of uh, God being gracious last week. This week, we're talking about his compassion. And then on the 22nd, slow to anger. And then our uh, Mark Steberg will be leading us on March 1st with Rich in Love. But in Psalm 145, verse 8, it reads, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You know, when I look at this verse, first thing that's come to mind is me and how, fall, how much I fall short of the example that we have in God here. 
And it continues with how incredible God is. It says, the Lord is good to everyone. Is that all inclusive? Of course it is. And it says, he showers compassion on all creation. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today is the compassion of God that we read about in the Bible. And more importantly, though, for each and every one of us that's sitting here today is how that relates to us today. You know, do we believe this? I think we uh, have moments where we do. But really, when you think about our daily walk and the things we have to contend with on a daily basis in our lives, there's so much that we're up against that helps us to lose sight of. And maybe even when we read these promises from God, not necessarily buy in or agree that's the kind of God that we serve. You know, do we realize as a society that God showers us with compassion? I don't think so. And then if we did, I think the news that we watch on a daily basis would be much different than what we're currently watching today. Do we really believe that as we sit here today, God showers us with compassion? Well, I think with that, we might want to spend a moment just talking about what compassion is and what that looks like. And ultimately, it's a feeling of sorrow or deep sympathy. But it's not just a feeling. It's also accompanied by a strong desire to do something to elevate the pain or stop the hurt or injustice. You know, that's another thing I'm really grateful for here within our church is the community service projects that we're a part of, the things that, how we, we take this to heart with what God has called us to, what God's demonstrated for us to try and elevate the situation of others that aren't in the same place that we are. You know, we, we see it on TV. Uh, how many of you have seen those? I think it's Humane Society, but the, the commercials about the dogs and the, you know, cats and how poor, you know, just how bad their conditions are in the whole bit. I know with our, with our DVR, I'm grateful. On, well, actually, I don't know that I'd say I'm grateful on two counts. One, we can fast forward through it. But being in the, we live in the South Bay, we have a townhouse. And, um, you know, whenever you see these things, they've got the dogs on the news in the morning, you know, the adoption, this, that, and the other. I mean, I want to engage on that level. I want to bring them all home. But we definitively get kicked out of our place, so... You know, and then there was the uh, Budweiser commercial during the uh, Super Bowl, you know, with a little dog that got lost. You know, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh! You know, and then seeing how that all worked out, he managed to find his way back. And then those Clydesdales came to his rescue, man. There's that wolf breathing down his neck, and they kick the stalls open, and they go galloping out, and they stand there side by side, shoulder to shoulder. And the wolf kind of, I'm out. So we, we get compassion. We understand what that looks like. Who needs compassion? Isn't that something we all need? You know, that's what I love about the song that we just did. Everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs forgiveness. The kindness of a Savior. The hope of nations. And then just understanding the biblical aspects of our God that come out in that song, and that he can move the mountains. He's the author of not just salvation, he's the author of creation and with that salvation. And through Jesus Christ, he rose and conquered the grave. I think one of the things that encourages me the most about that song, so take me as you find me. All my fears and failures 
And this is the incredible God that we serve. I believe that line. Fill my life again. You know, do we really get it? I look at my life early on, and uh, my upbringing was a mixed bag, as most of ours are. And one of the things I'm very grateful for with my mom is she spent, she made sure that I was a reader. I mean, from a very early age, I was reading around, so, you know, like the Dr. Seuss type stuff, three and a half, four years of age. In my uh, first grade year, I'm reading at junior high level. I mean, she cranked the books on me, and it, it really helped in, in so many ways in school. How much of what we do is about reading? The problem with that is uh, I've got some attention issues, and in the classroom, I was able to crank through all the material, and I'd end up with 15, 20 minutes on my hand during the class. Well, it created some issues. Um, I was a 4.0 uh, GPA through high school. The, uh, the flip side of that coin was I had unsatisfactory in citizenship in virtually all my classes. And it's, you know, on, on one, it's kind of humorous. My mom didn't think so, though. And uh, there was a lot of punishment for that. And there was never any encouragement about the grades. It was always the focus on the unsatisfactory citizenship. And I think, you know, that was kind of the root of some of my self-esteem issues being adopted. You've always got those questions. There's always those issues. Why? Wasn't I good enough? What, what was it that made my mom feel like she could not take care of me, that she had to put me up for adoption? So with that, a lot of fears, a lot of insecurity. And then, you know, obviously heading into high school, the thing that added to that was being five foot tall, 99 pounds, there were some issues there as well. You know, I, I got my hindsight kicked around quite a bit in school. Part of it was that wonderful big mouth of mine. Got me into sh my share of trouble. And then it's funny, we, we have Valentine's Day yesterday. And I know we all have mixed emotions on that one. I'm very, very grateful today. And that my Valentine's right here in the front row, which is awesome. And it just amazes me looking back that God would bless me with such an incredible woman. You know, in elementary school, everybody gets a Valentine card. You know, you kind of put them in the mix, and they just randomly go out into the bags. But, you know, later on in life, junior high school, high school, I remember being envious of all the other guys that were getting the Valentine's cards from these girls and not receiving one later on in life. So there's a lot of insecurity here, and this is what I love so much about God. This is what I love so much about his compassion. This is what I love so much about this song. Take me as you find me, all my fears and failures. And there's been, in 56 years of my life, there's been quite a few of those. But again, you know, when it comes to what God has done for us, do we really get the compassion? You know, we're here today on a Sunday, Basically, between Sundays and our midweeks within the church, we get to hear things that prayerfully encourage us, whether it's the singing or the messages, but that adds up to whopping three hours of our week. And, you know, throughout the rest of our week, we're told that you are who you are based on what you have or what you do by your employers, by your coworkers, by your classmates, by billboards, commercials, TVs, movies, and the like. And there's so many things vying for our attention, trying to distract us from what an incredible God that we serve. You know, society 
Next slide. Society tries to make God less spectacular so God ultimately will become more optional. I want to read this again. Society tries to make God less spectacular so he will become more optional. You know, you think about what this country was even founded on. God. Our universities. God. And how through time, God becomes more and more marginalized. You know, there are these rumors about God that honestly go all the way back to the beginning. The garden. The statements like this. God is selfish. He doesn't want you to know what he knows. And what I've got right now are the top five accusations I feel about God that I want to relay to you, both the thought and then what the actual translation on that thought is. Number one, life as a true biblical Christian is too challenging. What does that translate into? God is harsh. Number two, there are eight billion people on the face of this planet. Who am I? God doesn't care. Number three, God, you expect me to give up a tenth of my earnings? God is a thief. Number four, God, I'm living as you've asked me to. Why do these non-Christians have it better than me? God is unfair. And then finally, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Is that one that's ever gone through your head? And that translates into God is deaf, sleeping, or dead. What we're going to do today is we're going to spend some time in the book of Hosea. And, you know, it's a book I haven't read in quite some time, and I think the reason for that is, honestly, going through it, the book makes me very uncomfortable when it comes to the topic, the subject that's being discussed throughout the book. The book of Hosea, the purpose ultimately is to illustrate God's love for his people, his sinful people. And the author, the prophet Hosea, Hosea actually translates, this is kind of cool, it means salvation. It was written to the northern kingdom in Israel about 715 B.C., and ultimately things were going relatively well. It was a time of prosperity. The issue was there was definitively a class separation. The wealthy were oppressing the poor. The wealthy had lost sight of God. And the main message to the people of Israel at that point in time was that Israel had sinned against God, and in this case, as an adulterous woman, sins against her husband, unfaithful, how they violated the vows. Chapter 1 gives us kind of an overview as to why God did what he did in the direction that he gave Hosea. And I, I just want to say it from the get-go, between Hosea and Gomer, at some point in time today, I may say Homer, so please bear with me. I mean, I, I've been playing this out in my head, and it's like, where the heck did Homer come from? So I'm just putting it out there. It may happen today. But God directs Hosea in chapter 1 to marry a prostitute. And just thinking about prostitution, we know what the issues are there. This is a woman who would be unfaithful to him and would create many issues and heartache for him in his life. And what this demonstrates is just as Gomer lost her appreciation for her husband, Hosea, we can lose our love and appreciation about the special relationship that we have with God. You know, some of us here today have never really adopted the lifestyle that God calls us to as Christians. You know, and there, there may be reasons for that. I look back at my own upbringing, 
having been raised in a major denominational church and then just kind of going astray there as an agnostic for a couple of decades, maybe it's a matter we were never taught properly. Other of us have compromised our Christian lifestyle, true biblical discipleship, and have adopted the ways of the world. We've compromised the word of God. Job first, self first, school first. You know, like a loving husband or father, God wants people to know him and to turn to him daily. So as we look to the story of Hosea and his wife Gomer, what we see here serves as a parable of God's relationship with his people. In this parable, Hosea represents the Lord and Gomer represents God's people in sin. Gomer's life is a powerful picture of what it means to be lost or to a forgotten God. Chapter 2 of Hosea, again, it kind of deals with what I've already talked about here, the wealth of Israel, not understanding that the wealth they had was because God cared for them and was taking care of them, as was the case with Gomer and her husband Hosea. And they, she was unwilling to recognize the wealth, the life that she had came from her husband, just as Israel was unwilling to see that their wealth and well-being came from God. And what that does is it takes us to chapter 3, verse 1. Hosea 3, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again. This is amazing. I mean, especially when you think of the culture of this time, this woman is an outright known prostitute. We know how the Jews were about purity. We know how they were about their lifestyle. And God's directing him to bring this woman, not just back into his life, but to love this woman again. You almost feel the heartache. You know, I just wonder what the heck was going through Hosea's head other than the fact that, well, this is God. I'm going to follow the direction. But I, I can't even begin to imagine some of the things he must have been wrestling with here. Go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Verse 2. Hosea says, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relationships with anyone, not even with me. Verse 4, this shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or a prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. So we see that Gomer had left Hosea to pursue her immoral passions. Her life had sunk so low that, again, what we'll find here in chapter 3 is that she's being sold in a slave market. We don't know why or the reason behind what it is that was taking place at this point, but what it does show is that these were her decisions. These are the choices she made. She chose to walk away from her husband. She chose to walk away from their relationship. She rejected his life, his love, and her plans, or his plans for her life. She chose to give herself to others. And I think, you know, this is something that we can all relate to on one level or another, and that really understanding that lostness is a sad, destructive way of choosing to live apart from Christ. Lostness is rejecting the love and the compassion of God our Father. It's rejecting the plans that our Creator 
The individual that created us is rejecting the plans that our creator has for us. Lostness is compromising the word of God or ignoring the word of God and living as we choose versus living the life God has chosen for us. Lostness is chasing the things of the world. There's a great quote by Max Lucado, or Lucado. I guess Lucado is the actual pronunciation. It says, your goodness can't win God's love, nor can your badness lose it but you can resist it. You know, we need to think about that for a moment. This shows us how incredible God is, how un- unconditional that compassion and love is that God has for us. And that it doesn't matter how bad we are, we can't lose it. It doesn't matter how good we are, because it's given as a free gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But the bottom line is, there is something that we can do to negate it, and that's to resist it. You know, I talked to a young man in our uh, teen ministry a few weeks back. It was really kind of sad because he understood his need for a relationship with God. He understood his need for forgiveness. But the thing that he missed is how critical the opportunity is now and that the time is now and we are not promised tomorrow. And because that, you know, especially if we're younger, we can feel like, You know, I got time. I'm young. But how many times do we see youth in the media? Car accident, shooting, drug overdose. Many of us know people in their teens that this has happened to. And really understanding that the only thing that keeps us from a right relationship with God is resistance on our part. Again, it's the choices that we make. You know, the Bible says that God is holy, and that his holiness means that God cannot have anything to do with us in an impure state. God has to respond to our sin, to purify us in order to have that relationship with us. And really understanding that without Christ, we stand far away from God. Our sin, we see in Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 2, our sin banishes God from having a relationship with us. And if something isn't done about our sin, we'll not only experience distance from God now, but we'll be separated from God for eternity. You know, we look at Gomer's life again. Gomer's sin is really a picture of her own sin. Not that we've all committed adultery against our spouses, but we've all committed spiritual adultery against God. What are the things that come into our lives that separate us from God? that keep us from understanding the compassion he has for us, that his plans are worth pursuing when it comes to our lives. We've all offended him in one way, shape, form, or another. And what makes it so offensive is the fact that it's willful. These are the decisions that we make. We choose to to do it or not. We choose to have a relationship with God or not. And the wickedness that we see here that's characterized by Gomer's self-focused nature, self-centered living is it's incredibly destructive that really this is the heart of sin. See, by nature, we're all self-centered. This is who we are. God calls us to love him passionately and supremely and to love others the same way that Christ has loved us. So we find ways to live for ourselves, to push God off to the side. And it's at that critical moment in time that God called for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And that Jesus loves us no matter what our condition. 
thinking through this, Hosea was called by God to go back and love Gomer and rescue her from slavery. Gomer was looking to fulfill her every desire. She got what she wanted, but not what she needed most. She ended up sold as a slave. And I think really understanding, we all have this innate drive to pursue worldly desires. We want what we want, and we will do whatever it takes to get it. We've got to be careful that we're not like Gomer when it comes to the things that she found important in life. God has compassion for us. I just got two things I want you to walk out of here today. Number one, God has compassion for us. God has compassion for you, so don't be a Gomer. Real simple. I, I, we all should be able to remember this, right? God has compassion for you. Don't be a gomer. You know, what about the members of our church? When someone attempts to try to help you in your relationship with God, your marriage, your dating relationships with others, how do you respond? Is there a humility towards our brother or sister, especially when it comes to God's word being brought out and used? Be careful. Don't be a gomer. What about when you're asked to serve or to put God's church first, as the Bible calls us to? Is it too much of an inconvenience? Are you giving the best of yourself to your job, to your school, to your kids' sports, activities, whatever, versus seeking the kingdom first? Be careful. Don't be a gomer. God is looking for change so he can shower us with compassion. When we repent, this is the thing that I love about repentance is that pardon is always there waiting for us. Great is our sin, but even as greater is God's mercy, God's grace, God's compassion. And I think really understanding this, compassion is a law of God's universe. God's plans for us, the joy in having a relationship with him even now that sin has so sadly marred his creation, God's handiwork, Lord has so arranged matters that our fall, mankind's fall, is broken. The curse is met by a cure. And the inevitable pain that we can experience is softened through the blood of Christ. See, if we ever question God's love, Jesus' love for us, we need to place ourselves at the foot of the cross where that compassion was poured out and remember the sense of gratitude we need to have for that. Hosea 4, verse 1. Hosea 4, verse 1 reads, Hear. You know, whenever I see hear or listen to the Bible, it catches my attention. I think this is exactly what is going on right here. We need to pay attention to what God has to say here. Listen with your heart. Listen with your mind. And obey says, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land, there is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. Because you've ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. You know, we see God being represented through the prophet Hosea, anguishing over the condition of his people. And the people were a mess. But you know, it's not even just the people. The leadership was a mess. Both politically and spiritually during Hosea's time, it was corrupt. 
Materialism was an emphasis of the time. This focus on prosperity and a lack of spirituality. You know, we think through the things that were just cited in this passage. Is the world really any different today? Bloodshed, adultery, all kinds of things that are so incredibly destructive. But through his prophet Hosea, God gives direction and lets us know that there's hope. We saw in verses 1 and 2, God has great compassion for us. So again, don't be a gomer. You know, we see similar conditions today throughout everything that we are part of. And I, in, in light of this passage, it talks about this need for knowledge. It says the people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Read with me, if you will, through Matthew 13, starting in verse 12. And again, we've got this listener-hear aspect of things in this passage. It says, to those who listen. There's a call here to obedience and the need to live it out. It says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. You know, do you find it hard to understand or get what God says in the Bible? There may be some passages out there that need a little additional help. But I want us to think through this for a minute. Is it hard to understand the basic teachings or commitment to God's word, his church, discipleship, baptism, and how to be saved? We have any uh, eighth graders with us here this morning? Any eighth graders? Okay. We have one. What grade are you in? Okay, stand up for a minute. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to have anything other than just stand there for a second. <laughs> now, you, you may find this kind of interesting, but the Bible is written based on the translation at a broad array of reading ability and comprehension. But two of my top three translations of the Bible, the NIV and the Homans, you ready? are written at an eighth grade reading level. You can go ahead and sit down. Thank you. That wasn't that one too rough, was it? Now, here's one that I found kind of interesting, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I've moved on from it, but I really did enjoy it while I was reading it. The third is the NLT, which is written at a sixth grade reading level. Now, what this tells me is that God meets us where we are and we don't need theologians to break down God's word for us. We don't need Christian commentary. We don't need the Greek. We don't need the Hebrew. You need a Bible. The NCV, for those of you who are wondering, is written at a third grade level. So we can all stumble on into a Christian bookstore or pull up our smartphones and find an app with a translation we're comfortable with reading. And it'll help us come to an understanding of First and foremost, God's compassion towards us, but what we can do to hang on to that compassion going forward. You know, really understanding that there's no private interpretation of the Bible. We don't need someone to help us understand when Jesus says, you are my friend if you obey me. Isn't that pretty clear? I mean, I, how do you tweak or twist that? Well, he didn't really mean obey, or he really didn't mean friend, or this is the kind of friend that he made. Seriously? No private interpretation. God's word, not ours. 
See, we, we don't see Jesus and the apostles ever referring to a, a Bible decoder, you know, some kind of, you know, spy decoder ring to help us get through it, or that we need any special need, help understanding it. See, a lack of understanding of what Jesus calls his disciples in the New Testament is nothing more than a hard heart and an unwillingness to obey what God calls us to. There may be some of you this morning that are studying the Bible with us, and it's amazing the things we can take issue with when we're going through God's Word. Rather than setting aside what we think we know or what we've been taught or traditions or the culture that we're part of, and what does it say? Just simply, what does it say? And responding to that rather than, well, yeah, but da 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 da. No, it's clear. It's God's Word. Our Creator knows what's best for us. Amen? 2 Peter 2, verse 20 reads First of all, you should know, there, you need to know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, God tells us that his word is easy to understand. Key is whether or not we're willing to listen to it versus man-made doctrine, traditions, things that can't be substantiated by the word. My prayer for you is that you'll pray to listen, and that by listening, God will grant you understanding. Back to Matthew 13, verse 13. This is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. They cannot turn to me and let me heal them. This is sad. This is so sad. God wants to heal us. God wants the best for us. God wants us to have hope. God wants us to have joy. God wants us to have all these things. But our pride or our love of self keeps us from hearing and keeps us from seeing. You know, Psalm 145, verse 9 again, it says, The Lord is good to who? Everyone. And what does he do because of that? It says he showers compassion on all of his creation. God knows what we need, and Jesus understood our condition. Matthew 9, verse 36. Next slide, please. Matthew 9, verse 36. This is the, uh, out of the message translation. It says, when he looked out over the crowds, this is Jesus speaking, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. And then in a translation we're no, more familiar with here, Holman's, it says, when, we saw, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. This is the Son of God the Father. He knows our needs. He understood the condition that we tend to be in when we lose sight of God. And with that, he was willing to come and die for us so that we'd have the opportunity for the love and compassion that God wants to extend to us. We're going to finish in the book of Hosea in chapter 11. 
And this gives us some additional insight as to what an amazing God we serve if we've chosen to do so. Hosea 11, verse 1. And this gives us some incredible insight as to God as a father. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me. Parents, any of you relate to this at all? <laughs> I know there was more than one hand out there that you wanted to raise, and I kind of threw that out as a rhetorical, but... Uh, you know, you want so much for your kids to have the best. You want so much for them not to be hurt, not to have to deal with anything in the realm of negative issues. And it seems like the more that we try to convey that, the further away from us they move. God gets that. But the more I called to him, he, the farther he moved from me, offering sacrifice to the image of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I that took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck. I myself stooped to feed him. But since my people refused to return to me, They'll return to Egypt and will be forced to serve Assyria. War will swirl through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trapping them in their own evil plans. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me most high. They don't truly honor me. Or how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Abma or demolish you like Zebulun? My heart is torn within me. My compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you. I will not come to destroy. For someday, people will follow me, amen? I, the Lord, will roar like a lion, and when I roar, my people return, trembling from the west. Like a flock of birds, they will come from Egypt. Trembling like doves, they will return from Assyria. And I will bring them home again, says the Lord. God isn't like us. His love is unconditional. He wants to shower us with compassion. God has great compassion for us. God has great compassion for you. So don't be a gomer. <laughs> so what's the key? Don't fight it. Don't resist. If you're a disciple, stay surrendered. If you're not a Christian, not a disciple, time to surrender. Revelations 14.7 gives us some insight as to the why says, fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of the water. And then closing out in Luke 14, verse 27, says, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. 
but don't begin until you count the cost. For he who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. I don't know about you, but that isn't something that appeals a whole lot to me. I had enough of that when I was a kid. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 men could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far, far away. God is a compassionate God. He's also our creator as well. With that, he's also our judge. I think the thing that we've got to be willing to answer at any given moment is, are you ready to face him? God is a compassionate God, and I will say this with authority. Why? The proof is in Jesus Christ. Unequivocally, without a doubt, that's all I need to say. Our God is a compassionate God. He has great compassion for us. We really are Christians. We really are disciples of Jesus Christ. It will be evident based upon our actions, out of love and gratitude towards Christ because of his compassion for us. See, our lives will ultimately match up to what the Bible calls us to. Not verbalize empty claims, but a life like Jesus Christ that's a light to a lost world that makes a difference, that's attractive, that others will want to embrace because of the compassion Jesus Christ demonstrated for us. Jesus says, go and baptize. We will go and baptize, not make excuses. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's exactly what we'll do, because God says so, because Jesus says so. I wanted to close with just a couple of verses from the song that we sang earlier today. My God, your God, is a God of unlimited compassion. Our God is mighty to save. Our God is the author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Shine your light, let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of a risen king. As we leave here today, my prayer for all of us is that because of God's compassion, his amazing love and compassion that he demonstrated for us through Jesus Christ, that we will not be gomers. Amen.